Good morning. Man, singing is just powerful this morning. Isn't it great? Uh, I'd like to begin by saying to all the mothers who are out there, the mothers who are in this assembly with us this morning, and all the mothers who may be watching via live stream, we rise up today and we call you blessed. And if you were blessed and are blessed with a godly mother who taught you the love of the Lord, you have been favored more than anybody else in this world. And we have many, many, many godly mothers in our family in Christ here. And to all of you, we say thank you, God bless you, and we truly rise up and call you blessed. And to my mom who is watching right now, I will, pro I will call you later today, I promise. And I was certainly blessed with a wonderful, and am blessed with a wonderful mother who certainly taught all of us the love of the Lord. Yes, indeed. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and following, we find the close to the greatest sermon ever shared. And here is how Jesus concluded this wonderful sermon. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as one of the scribes. Don't you love a good story? Isn't it amazing how a good story can just stick in your mind? And it not only sticks in your mind, but you can just see the characters in the story. You, you can visualize them. And sometimes we'll even go farther than the story shares. We'll, we'll have them dressed in a certain way. We'll have them moving in a certain way. And, and we not only see the characters, we, we get the plot and we see the action and we see them moving. It's as if the story that is merely words conjures up this incredible illustration in your mind. Stories. Stories are powerful. And, and so our Lord Jesus, like he often does, puts a story in our mind and he concludes the greatest sermon ever shared with a story. We sometimes call this a story of two houses, a, a wise man and a foolish man are building. But, but you're going to see it's more than just a house. But I will say this to you, it's a simple story, is it not? Very simple. In fact, this would almost make a good children's song, wouldn't it? Can you see something here with the wise men and fools? Somebody needs to work on that. But that's what makes it great. A wise man, a foolish man, 
Both builders, both have houses. But the story that Jesus is sharing is not so much about the house. He, he doesn't get into, is it a two-story, a three-story? Is it a four-story? Does, does it have six bedrooms? Does it have five bathrooms? Does it have multi-car? It, it doesn't matter. It can be as big and the decor can be as elaborate as you want because all of that really doesn't matter because the simple story gets deep, pardon the pun, if you will, because it's all about a foundation. You have a foundation that is solid, and then you have a foundation that is merely sand. Well, here's what we know about the story. The story isn't really about a house, is it? It's about relationships. It's about a father and a son. It's about a husband and a wife. It's about a church and members working together. It can be about a nation. It can be in any relationship that you want because it fits. And some relationships are built on principles and values that are firm like a rock, and some are shifting sand, and they float around. Uh, anybody here ever been to New York? Anybody been to New York? It's a cool place, isn't it? All right. And, and, and what's amazing about New York, especially when you get on the island of Manhattan, is it's one skyscraper after another. I mean, and they stretch high into the sky. And, and they're just mind-boggling to see, to see simply the city when you look at it from a distance across the river. And you see all those massive buildings on that one little island. How do they stand? Well, here's what you may not know. Manhattan, that island is really a rock. You don't have to go very far into the sand to find rock, hard rock. And so each and every one of those buildings has a very powerful foundation. Now, anybody to the Kennedy Space Center? You been out there? Well, there's that big VAB building, that massive building where they'll roll the rockets in and they'll mate them to the boosters and then roll them out to the pad. Well, that VAB is built upon sand. It's Merritt Island. It's right there on the coast. It's actually considered one of the great engineering marvels of the world, not because of what you see above the earth, that 525-foot building. What makes it one of the most strong, powerful engineering marvels of the world is what's underground. There's 4,225 steel pilings that have been driven into the ground 165 feet. 4,225, and those steel pilings have been flooded with 30,000 cubic yards of concrete. Before you could build that building, you had to build a foundation like no other. And it's as if our Lord Jesus is doing the exact same thing to us. Every single one of us live in a world with values and morals that are shifting sand. Before, before we can build our spiritual house, he has to drive down within each and one of us these still pilings of truth so that we have a foundation to stand on. But this story is also powerful because it speaks of storms. And the storms are inevitable. Did you know that that's actually one of the things that you see all through Scripture? 
There's one calamity, one crisis, one disaster, one storm after another. It started very quickly in the Garden of Eden. It carried on in the family, of, unfortunately, of Adam and Eve with their sons. We see it in the days of Noah and so forth. Job says it like this. Boy, what a storm he had. In Job 14.1, Job says, How frail is humanity? How frail? How short is life? How full of trouble. Jesus would say this to his disciples before he went to the cross. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Every family, every relationship, every church is going to have storms. The storms are inevitable. They come to the house regardless of how sincere the builder may be, regardless of how wise the builder may be, or even how foolish the builder may be. The storm comes, and Jesus makes that very clear. Both houses have rain. Both houses have floods. Both houses deal with wind. Both houses are beaten and beaten and beaten. Every marriage has a storm. Can I say that again? Every marriage has storms. There's, you may find this hard to believe. There's actually times that my wife loses her mind and actually gets mad at me. Can you imagine that? <sighs> Should have been here in the first hour when I said that. Miss Sonia jumped all over me. Because you're like, <laughs> we know you. We pray for Cheryl every day. But every marriage... Every marriage, every relationship, and again, even churches have storms. The question is, who's going to last? Who's going to withstand the storm? There's a song that goes like this. I want you to finish it for me because you know it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. That's our Lord's point. Are you building on the foundations that I have given you or are you building on sinking sand? But then here's what makes this story so great and makes every story great, especially the stories that remember. we remember, is a good story is going to challenge your intellect, the way you think, what you are thinking. It's going to challenge not only your intellect, but because it challenges the way you think and it points out truth in your mind, it's then going to lead to emotion. Story of the Good Samaritan leads to emotion, compassion. Some stories will lead us because of the intellect and what it teaches us can lead us to anger. Some stories can lead us to joy. But any good story is going to storm the will because not only does a good story challenge the intellect and challenge the emotion, it's then going to challenge the will of the hearer. What are you going to do with the story? Is it going to move you? Is it going to change you? D. Bowman, that's a name that may be familiar with most of you here. He taught all the young preachers who trained with him and he even wrote in his book about good gospel preaching is that every good sermon will have this element. It will storm the will. And that's what Jesus does here. Because isn't it interesting, 
as wonderful and as powerful and as simple and as foundational as this story is, you know what this story doesn't have? And Jesus did this a lot with his stories. He didn't give you the conclusion. Remember the story of the prodigal son? That story is actually left open-ended because that story wasn't so much about that wasteful son as it was about the elder brother who at the end of the story is mad at his father. I'm not going to go in there and celebrate. How could you be so benevolent and kind to him? Oh! And so the story's left open. What did he do? Did he humble himself and go in and share grace and kindness and love and mercy, the mercy of the father with his brother? Or did he stay out there in that field all angry? Jesus says there's two builders. The story's left open because the story is about us. Which house am I? Today we're wrapping up a series, a series that we began actually many weeks ago. This is the ninth lesson in the series that we titled Following Jesus. And we could easily keep going. And we may get a few more sermons later in the year. I may throw them in there on you. But if you remember back to our very first sermon, our sermon began as we followed Jesus really through the Gospel of Matthew by going to the Jordan River. We went to his baptism, that day of transformation, that day that he was no longer a carpenter, but he came up out of the water and became a minister, a prophet, a rabbi, and as John the Baptist will call him, the Lamb of God. And the Trinity was reunited that day. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit came together. And what our Lord is showing each and every one of us is that our relationship, our own life, begins with Him when we go to the waters of baptism, when we are raised up, transformed with a new life. We're no longer the old man and we begin the walk with our Lord. And then our Lord went out into the wilderness. It was our second lesson. He went out and He was tempted. Basically to face by Satan. But he overcame those temptations. He shows us how to live the sanctified life, how not to be drawn in by the wiles and the schemes of the devil. And then he leads us to the mountain. And that's where we've been, listening to this sermon that shows us what is pure, what is right, more importantly, what is righteous in the eyes of God. And he challenges us to exceed, to exceed the righteousness of what we see in the world around us. Your righteousness needs to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. Don't be a hypocrite who do things just simply to be seen by men, but you live your life to be seen by the Lord. You store up your treasures in heaven, not upon the earth, for you are transformed and you become part of the good news. The good news isn't just about salvation. The good news is about a kingdom. A kingdom filled with kingdom people who, as Jesus will say, become lights to the world. And so now we come to the end of this incredible sermon. We come to chapter 7. And what we find are three choices, two warnings, and one unforgettable story. Three choices, two warnings... And that one unforgettable story. What Jesus has been doing as he's wrapped up the lesson is he's actually been putting a lot of pictures in our mind, has he not? Last week we talked about somebody having the audacity to become a speck inspector and look to take a speck out of their brother's eye when they got a big beam in their own eye. What a powerful illustration that is. Who would do that? Well, somebody who doesn't have righteous judgment. 
And then he shared this picture to us. A pig dressed with pearls. Doesn't she look sweet? What a funny picture to have in your mind. You don't throw. You don't throw what is unholy to the dogs, just like you don't give pearls to a pig, says Jesus. Then here's another powerful illustration. There's two paths. There's one broad path. And many go down. And please note, folks, when we get to this and we're going to talk about it, he's not talking about worldly people here. He's talking about religious people. It's a broad path that leads to destruction. A narrow path leads to life. And then there's this. What a picture that is. Wolves in sheep's clothing. I, when I found this on my computer, I got a little scary. I got scared just looking at it. That is, who, man, whoever came up with that, that's an ominous picture. If y'all had enough of it, because I have, let's move on. <laughs> and then there's this. Foundation. Am I building a house on the sand? Or am I building my house on the rock? Three choices Two warnings, one unforgettable story. The three choices. Well, the three choices are these. You have a narrow way and a broad way. And then he's going to have a choice between two kinds of fruits, a good tree and a bad tree, good fruit and bad truth. And then as we talked about just a moment ago, a wise and a foolish foundation. Let's talk about this narrow gate and broad path. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter, says Jesus. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. You know, many commentators have, have really spent a lot of time deciding, what is this path? Is this, is this the big gates leading into the city and the narrow gate that you'll have to find on the backside of the city where, you know, somebody just barely has a door or a little crack in the wall and you have to work your way through? Is it the idea of an interstate versus that little path that goes off in the woods? There's a lot. But the point is, and we get it and understand, there's a way that is very easy. It is well trodden. It is taken by the world, but there's a path, there's a path that's different that leads to life. And the audience that Jesus was speaking to is he was challenging them because in their minds they thought the wide path was it and they didn't realize they were following the religious leaders of the day that were leading them down a path of destruction. And Jesus is saying, watch out. There's many pretenders in the religious world. There's very few believers. And there's always going to be a path that is easier and more popular. And what Jesus is actually doing here, and this is a very powerful doctrinal statement, he is rejecting pluralism. Pluralism is the doctrine that there's many ways to God. If you just believe in Jesus, you believe in the Lord, you're good. You can come to him with this faith, with that thought, with this belief and that belief. It really doesn't matter. It all goes to the same place. Jesus says, no, it doesn't. You know, we uh, as parents, 
today being Mother's Day especially, we prepare our children for, for children for life. And one of the mistakes we all run into as parents is that sometimes we try to change the path more than we try to change the child. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus says the paths are set. It's kind of like what you read in Proverbs chapter 4 and in verse 26. Ponder the path of your feet and then your way will be sure. You cannot change the path. Certain decisions, certain choices, certain actions, certain things lead a certain way. You can't change it. But what we always want to do is we want to make the path easier for our children. We want it not to be so narrow and challenging and difficult. So we're going to try to change the path. We're going to kind of clear out the foliage. We're going to try to push aside things. And we'll sometimes even attack other people or we'll change things and make changes in life that we are simply making the path as as easy as we can for our children. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't do that yourself. I want to change you so you can handle the difficult path. You can't change storms, folks. Storms happen. But you can change the heart to prepare for the storm. Proverb writer also says it like this. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its way is the end of death. Can I go back to that verse I quoted a moment ago, Proverbs 4.26? Here's how it reads from the Living Bible. Watch your step. Stick to the path. And be safe. I like that. What's the path Jesus is talking about? Well, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. There's your path. Don't change it. Don't look for something easier. You got to make a choice. The second choice that we see here, good trees, bad trees, good fruit, bad fruit, actually follows the first warning. Remember, three choices, two warnings. I want you to notice, I want you to notice because both of these choices follow very powerful warnings by Jesus. Here's the first warning. It comes to us in verse 15. Beware, beware, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. So here's the first warning. Beware. Beware of the false prophet in sheep's clothing. Beware of the one who comes to you, but they're not really who they appear to be. Now let me just say something real quick so you hear this about the false prophets. I believe, and this is my own personal opinion, most false prophets out there are very sincere. Very sincere. 
This is not a challenge to sincerity. Uh, you remember the Apostle Paul. Even the Apostle Paul, when he thought that what he was doing was right in imprisoning Christians and hunting down Christians and throwing them in prison, even leading to their deaths, the whole time he did it with a good conscience. He was a ravenous wolf that was very sincere. Didn't make it right, obviously. And later he would refer to himself as the chief of sinners. But what Jesus is making clear to us is that he is not ecumenical. Ecumenical is a word that I think I share with you many times. Beware of ecumenical teaching. Ecumenical is simply the idea that all beliefs in Jesus work. It's all one big happy community. Jesus doesn't do that. Bear in mind, in this sermon, his greatest challenge is to those who were extremely religious. And in the eyes of the audience and even Jesus' own disciples, they are just dumbfounded that the scribes and the Pharisees and these great religious leaders are pleasing to God. Jesus is also not ambiguous, and he's not partial. Beware. What is it that we tell our children all the time, especially when they're young? Don't talk to strangers, right? Be careful of the predator. Uh, we even have a slogan. Y'all have heard this. Don't take candy from strangers. Oh, yeah. Well, why is that? Because the predator, the wolf, is going to appear very inviting. That's their clothing. Their clothing is not harsh or mean. Their clothing is kind, lovely, warm, accepting, friendly, intriguing, benevolent. And they'll almost always appeal to our emotions. Our the false prophets all through the Bible, they all had simply one thing in common. When the prophet of God was saying, beware, they were saying, peace, you're fine. When the prophet of God was saying, change, they were saying, whoa, you're good. Don't be so hard. They appeal to us. And so Jesus says, don't look at what you see in all that clothing. Look at what you see later that comes from their fruit. I'll tell you in this, uh, just this past year, the evangelical community, the religious world that we're all a part of in one way or another, has seen two of the teachers that a lot of people lean to the most be exposed. One was a great teacher of apologetics who was world-renowned. But at his death it came out that he was a greatly immoral man. Another one who's written many, many books and is very popular and has a lot of good things to say has separated herself from all forms of denominational teaching, which is a good thing. But she came out in strict violation to a clear principle in God's Word, something that is really black and white that she says she no longer believes. The point Jesus is saying to all of us is that we need to become fruit inspectors and there needs to be a fruit inspection of anyone that you listen to. Can I say that again? Anyone 
you listen to? What are their morals? Listen closely to their doctrine and listen to their attitude even toward this sermon. How will you know them? How will you know? How will you know who's really the shepherd and who's really the wolf? You'll know them by their works. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 11. Even in his day, he and the other apostles were dealing with those who came to be apostles themselves. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15. And no wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. But their end corresponds to their deeds. Be careful. Beware. Because the second choice is what kind of tree are you? You bearing good fruit? Or are you bearing bad fruit? And this brings us to the second warning. Now, you'll notice this one in verse 21. And let me just go ahead and warn you about the warning. This one's hard. This one is very hard. Here's what Jesus says, verse 21. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Anybody else struggle with that? What? What? Wait, wait, wait. They, they, they did miracles. They cast out demons. They did all these mighty works. Well, please see this, and this is very important for all of us to grasp, especially those who are younger in our assembly, even today, or watching. This is the doctrine of works religion. This is works religion of goodness. In other words, they're so good. Would you look at all the goodness they do? I can't see God not being happy with this person. Look at all the kindness they show. Look at all the benevolence. Look at all the good deeds. Look at all the, uh, the money that they raise. Look at all the things that they build. Look at all the places that they go. Would you look at all the goodness? How in the world? Oh, there's no way. There is absolutely no way. Jesus said, yeah, there's a way. Because they're lawless. They're not following the will and the law of God. It shakes us. It shakes us because deep down every single one of us measure people by the good deeds we see. And that's not a bad thing. But it also shakes us because of what we define as good. Oh man, they, they, they built all these homes for all these people over here. They gave us money. I, I, I don't get it. They're not, oh, come on. Listen, look at all the good they do. Here's what we have to keep in mind, folks. This is very important. We have our definition of good. The Lord has his. Even Jesus refused to be called good. He said, the only one who's good is the Father. Turn, if you would, back to Matthew 5. I want you to remember what Jesus told us in his, his uh, sermon about love. In Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 46, 
Please note, Jesus says, even the tax collector, I have the English Standard Version, some of your Bibles may use the word Gentile. The point is, even the person who may be the swindler, even the person who is of the world, even the person who you would maybe consider evil and ornery, even that person knows how to do good deeds and to be kind and to love those who love them. Did you know that? Do you know that? Even the most hardened criminal knows how to be nice to people he likes. You keep building on that and carrying that forward, and the point is kindness and good deeds are not the totality of the gospel. Here's the second point I want you to see go to Matthew 6, and remember what we talked about with good deeds. The righteous. Don't do their good deeds to be seen of men. Notice verse 4. They give in secret because their father who sees in secret will reward them. Here's something that I have to answer a lot and I don't mind doing it. I have answered this so many times over the years, especially to those who are younger. Well, Mr. Phil, I got to tell you, This group over here, this belief over here, they're amazing. Would you look at all the good deeds that they do? They're building this, they're going here, they're doing this here, da-da-da here. I mean, and, 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 and what is our church doing? Nothing. We're doing nothing. I just kind of smile. I get it. I know exactly how that feels. And I say, how do you know? Well, well, look, they have all this going on Facebook over here. They're showing about this over here. They're sending out all these pictures over here. Would you look at what they're... We got nothing. I don't even hear it announced. Nothing. I said, oh. So that's how you know. I get it. And then I say, I can give you a little secret. Let me tell you about Nothing. The reason you don't know about many of these things is that the people that are doing them do all that they can to practice the Sermon on the Mount. They don't talk about it. They're not posting it all on Facebook. Look at me. Look at how I'm serving. Look at all these great children that I'm loving on and this, that, and the other. They keep it to the I tell you, here's what I know, and I'll share this with you. And let me just share this with all of you right now. I know just because of the position that I'm in and a lot of things happen to funnel through me or they come to me, I know personally tens of thousands of dollars. In fact, if I would probably stop and count it all up, it may be hundreds of thousands of dollars just in the past couple of years that have come from just people in this family in Christ to benevolent work, whether it's serving those who are hungry, whether it's reaching out and providing for adoptions, whether it's serving those who are needy, or in countless other examples, even camp. You don't know about it because they don't boast about it. In fact, I've been collecting money because many of you have been sharing with me, helping kids go to camp with scholarships. And every single person that's given to me here 
didn't really want it publicized. They kept it to themselves. I even got a letter with a $1,000 check in it. Actually, it's more than $1,000 from a lady down in Lakeland who sent me just out of the blue this money. She wanted to pay for three camps for the free campers away. And I was like, oh my word, this lady's great. I've never heard of her. And I was already thinking it was I was you know, reading over her letter and had her check in my hand. Well, we got to send her a picture or we got to share all the kids at camp and I got to let the kids know. And then at the very end of her note, it said, please keep this anonymous and don't tell anybody. Be careful of what you think you know or don't know. And when I'm talking about tens of thousands of dollars, I'm talking about beyond our contribution that's amazing in this family in Christ. Notice, if you would, back to the Sermon on the Mount of what Jesus has already taught us. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You know why that woman wanted me to keep it to myself? Because she had a better treasure in mind. The point is, and this is Jesus' point, The way you live a righteous life, you live by what I've shown you in this sermon. It's about obedience. Because following this, you have the story of the two houses. Go back, if you would, and listen to what Jesus said to each builder of the house. This is extremely important. Notice what he says, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built on the sand. But Lord, we prophesied in your name. But Lord, we did great and mighty works in your name. But Lord, I never knew you. He who does them. The sermon is about absolute truth. And our Lord's message is not a popular message, if you really kind of think about it. It's certainly not politically correct, but it's truth. But here's what I want you to see as we wrap this up. Doesn't this sermon apply to every relationship? Phil, you and Cheryl aren't getting along. You know what you need? You need a counselor. Yeah, you need the wonderful counselor. Well, what would he say? Matthew chapter 5, he would say, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Are you poor in spirit? Blessed are those who mourn. Do you realize how you're acting? Do you mourn? Blessed are those who are meek, who are gentle, who are willing to relent. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, not trying to be white or domineering, but blessed for those who long to be merciful, to be pure in their heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Wow. Man, this is, this is great marital advice, isn't it? Wow, this is... This is great parent-child advice, isn't it? Wow. 
This is great brethren advice. Wow. This is great evangelistic advice. Because ultimately what we all long to do when we follow Jesus is to be a light to this world. And Jesus says, you want to be a light? This is it. This is it. This is your standard of righteousness. This is your light and your salt. And the world can't help but take notice. Because this is different. More importantly, it's just like your father. The very end of chapter 5 ends with this powerful statement. And you be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, don't misunderstand our Lord Jesus. He knows we're not perfect. That's why He's preaching the sermon in the first place. But what He is saying, you want to please your Father? Is that really what you want? You want to be pleasing to God? You want to go to heaven? Be like your God. Make this your greatest desire. Not the treasures of the world, not the trinkets, not the praise, not the adulation. Make this your goal. It's a narrow path, but it leads to life. I want you to see that ultimately this sermon's about seeking God first. That that's my ultimate priority. Everything else fits under that. And you know what's so great about my relationship with Cheryl, even when she gets mad at me? Can you believe that? What is wrong with that woman? You know what I know? You know what I know? I know I am not her first love. And I'm good with that. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that she loves the Lord. And that foundation in her is that still piling and foundation that keeps me grounded in this world of shifting sand. And that works to my advantage. Because when we seek God first, our house will stand. There'll be storms. Oh, there'll be storms. Everybody gets beat upon. But it'll stand. One more thing as we wrap all this up. How do you do this? (laughs) Man, that sounds so great, but wow, how do I, how do I, how do I become that? I want you to notice what Jesus says. Because before he gets into this great invitation of these three choices, these two warnings, In this one amazing story, he tells us this, ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. And which one of you, if his son asking for bread, will give him a stone? Oh, how mean would that be? Dad, I'm starving. Oh, I just really am so hungry. Here, chew on a rock, kid. You wouldn't do that. 
How many if your child asked for fish would go, I'll give you a serpent. This will be fun. Watch him jump. You wouldn't do that. If you who are evil, and what he's simply saying is, you who are people who are imperfect, you who are people who are, who are at times very worldly, you who are people who are so messed up at times, even if you, you know how to give good to your children, how much more will your father who is perfect give what is good to you when you ask? Isn't that a great thought? Now let me just caution you. This doesn't mean, Lord, I could really use a million dollars. But if you're really good, you'll give me a million dollars. Jesus would go, which part of Matthew 6 did you not see about storing up treasures in heaven or on earth? Did you miss that part? Well, Lord, if you're really good to me, you'll make my life easy. What? Which part of being persecuted and blessed are the persecuted? Which part, which part did this you miss? Which part did you miss? Tell you what I will do. You really want to be righteous? Yes. You really want to be a light to this world? Yes. You really want to go to heaven more than anything else? Yes, yes. You ask. Because if this is really what you want to be, I'll help you be just that. I'll give you the bread you need, the fish you need, the love you need, the guidance you need, the people you need, the direction you need. I'll make that happen. Because it's ultimately about a choice. We're all building. The choice is what are we building upon? And this is the truth from the great builder himself, Jesus the Christ. Who will follow Jesus? Who's willing to make reply? I'm on the Lord's side. Master, here am I. We offer you the invitation to Jesus. The invitation of three choices, two warnings, but one incredible story. We offer to you a Savior who died for you and gave himself for you and has shown you the way. We offer to you the life that comes through the blood of Christ. It's not easy, but it's a life worth living. And more importantly, it's an eternal life. Who will follow Jesus? Maybe you need to follow him this morning. Maybe you've never been washed in the blood of the Lamb and you've given yourself to baptism. Let's make that happen today. Let's do that right now. Don't leave here without that transformation. Ask him. Come to him. He'll cleanse you. Maybe it's you just need to get your mind on straight. You've been building on sand and that shifting sand is just worn you out and you need something solid. Come. Let's work together. We're in this together. However we can help you walk with the Lord today to follow him, we invite you to come while we stand and while we sing.